Today, I welcome Michael Hirschfeld, head of school at Kent School in the USA. In this episode, I discuss putting people first by embedding active empathy, purpose, self-reliance all into the school curriculum, and then wrapping this all up through servant leadership and simplicity of life. I thoroughly enjoyed visiting your school last year. Obviously, during my visit, we discovered that we had more than one connection, and it wasn't just a connection because I was visiting you and seeing a great school because we work in the same industry. It was rowing and it was Henley-on-Thames, which is where I live. So it was strange being in Connecticut in this beautiful, leafy part of New England and chatting to somebody who has kind of walked down the same street as me and been there many times. What is the connection with Henley and rowing? Uh, yeah, that was fun to find that connection. So my relationship with Henley began in 1985 when I was a young athlete in high school and was rowing in the Princess Elizabeth Cup. And then later as a coach taking American schoolboy crews to compete in the same event. Yeah, I mean, it's a special event, but the town is so, for this American, you know, so kind of classically English and, and really fun to visit. The event itself, to me, it reveals all of the tensions in that sport, right? That it was here and in England, it was a sport of the privilege. And the sport itself is quite democratic. Really hard work can take you pretty far in the sport, but access to that experience is obviously increasing dramatically, which is a wonderful thing. But, you know, Henley as an event, as a social event, recognizes that history I have deep affection for the tradition and, and all of that, but also appreciate how the sport has been changing. I think with rowing as well, it's, it's one of those that require a huge amount. There are sports and then there's what I'm going to call an elite sport. And to be a, an elite rower, to come to these kind of you know international regattas to compete on the world stage, the level of commitment that you need and perseverance, not everybody has these. If these kind of traits being kind of instilled in you and they still form part of your leadership style and how you bring it into a school environment? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. My relationship with rowing, I think about this often. You know, if I gleaned any lesson from it that informs my work today, it's this. What I just mentioned a moment ago, that hard work, you can overcome a great deal with hard work and perseverance, right? Sticking to it and sticking with it and, and persevering. And I think I bring those, I mean, I hope my students and the students at my school see that, maybe not in me because I, not every student knows me that well, but that's a huge part of my educational philosophy, right? That actually trying matters and working hard matters and you can achieve infinitely more than you think you can if you apply that to your learning and in my view to life. And I know that Kent School's motto is simplicity of life, directness of purpose, and self-reliance. How do you honor this in school life? You know, I think as you, hopefully, as you felt, as you walked around, you know, we are, the simplicity of life in particular as a value and an ethos lives here in terms of how, you know, people say your mission is reflected in where you spend your money and how you organize your day and the daily schedule. Those are adages in the business, right? And I think our, if you walk around our campus, while the facilities are, I think, first rate and spectacular, they're not quite like 
our peer schools. Our devotion financially is to people. So we give away more financial aid per, you know, in relationship to our endowment size than any other school in the United States. And we're really, really proud of that. So to me, education and schools are, it's about relationships and people. It may be not about having the largest gymnasium or the shiniest library. That ethos of simplicity of life really lives here. And is it asset? You know, I think often, what if Ken were to be blessed with an angel donor who said, I'm, I believe in what you're doing. I'm going to give you $100 million and you can, you can spend it on anything you want. But my answer to my own, you know, this is my own dreaming, would be to endow the financial aid program to make sure we're paying people as much as we can to really invest in people. Of course, I want our physical plant to be adequate, more than adequate. I want it to be great. But it wouldn't be in building buildings. It would be in building up people. Talk about the simplicity of life. And there's a, a real friction that this is probably more difficult to achieve in a digital age than before. How do you balance that friction so it's healthy? I think that the postmodern world or whatever, however we describe the epoch we're living in now creates a lot of that friction, right? So I think of something like cell phone use and social media and how our kids are have access to all kinds of information and they're actually being bombarded by information. So there is a real tension between simplicity of life and what the world is telling them and what the world is like. So in that way, we're pretty countercultural. But as it plays out, for example, with social media, you know, giving the kids the skills to be discerning and disciplined assessors of information is one of our goals here. And that has to be a big driver because what we can't do is remove access you know, unlimited access or any access to this because that's no way of giving them a skill that is relevant for the world they're living in. They become isolated in a bubble. But at the same time, you know, you don't want them to be on it because they need some guidance and some structure. And I know that all the students or teens I've always spoken to, they would rather have structure, you know, because it's like if I gave my 11-year-old access to a suite, a candy shop, I'm pretty sure he'd go in there all day, every day. But we at some point have got to be adults and go, well, you could do that, but it's really not great for you, son. Um, why don't we just go in there every Friday, you know, and enjoy that moment? So I think it's, it's more and more, and I think it becomes a training part as well, is how do we keep up as adults and as teachers and as parents to go, you know, there's so much. I mean, you see it in the press every day. You know, how do we keep up without falling behind? So it's simplicity of life. It's also making sure that you're connected with what the world needs. And I think one of the tensions here and something we're always working on is you're right about setting boundaries. And for example, if we said we're going to be super countercultural and say we just can't have a cell phone and can't school, you know, that, as you suggested earlier, wouldn't be training our kids for the real world. But can we set boundaries and provide skills so kids can navigate this really rapidly changing world? Yeah, and it becomes more and more difficult. But I mean, I mean, I suppose the great thing is that if you live in such a great, it feels like a remote location. When you arrive there, you go there, you're surrounded by the mountains and the hills behind. You've got the river that runs right down one side of your campus. 
I mean, it's a beautiful place to escape. So you have real good opportunity, probably more so than than city schools, because they don't have the luxury of just stepping outside and being in the wilderness as well. You know, you talk about directing purpose. I mean, how do we support students? Because we do need to be purpose-led. I really believe that there's a time now for educators and education to help students and young men and women to identify what a purpose is and education as a facilitator to enabling them to grow into that and maintain a purpose. How do you support students in directing their purpose? Yeah, well, I think it's about, I think initially it's about providing opportunity, right? So kids can discover and develop their passion. Some of our students arrive with, or they believe they've arrived with the identification of their passion and purpose. Most students don't. And they, one of the magical things about working with adolescents in this environment is that they discover their passions that often turn in to purposes, which is a wonderful thing. This morning, I was, the reason why I was a minute late, I was in chapel a girl in our sixth form, our senior class, gave a speech to the school about her experience as a contestant on American Idol. So this, you may be familiar with that, American phenomenon, remarkably talented singer. But she spoke about turning her passion for singing into her purpose, whether or not she, I guess you get a golden ticket when you advance in this television show. We'll find out in February if she makes it. But she was like, I don't really care. I want to be a singer and I'm going to figure out a way to sing. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. You know, we're going to talk about the whole student approach because a lot of schools, you know, it's academic. We need to get in. We need to get matriculation. We've got to get into college. You know, there's expectations because of what my parents did and my grandparents did and what I'm going to call it the independent school elite expects. How do you balance that where you've kind of got this academic conveyor belt or expectation, but at the same time, I have this with my son who's at Shipplake and he's, he just wanted to get into drama. That's his defining moment. And, you know, it was why we had to put him in that school. How do you balance this whole student approach, but still enable them to have a singing purpose? I think about this all the time, Simon. I think we are in an incredible moment. This will sound grandiose, but I believe it. We're in an incredible moment of human history. It's certainly within the field of education in that in the last 20 years or so, there's been this massive transition from a content-driven economy, right? So education, you would go to Kent School or Eaton or any number of places to learn a vocabulary, actually, to get a massive knowledge that would allow you to have access to the elite world. With the democratization of information and knowledge with technology, and I feel like, Kent, we're thinking about this all the time, and, and this is why I'm so excited to be doing what I'm doing at Kent, is that, yes, intellectual development and content knowledge is important, but you can get content knowledge anywhere right now, right? You can get it on the internet. There's more information on your phone than in the whole of the Library of Congress times a million. And even 
if you're following the AI advances in paper writing and artificial intelligence is actually doing some of this, which is crazy. But to me, the transition that's happening at Kent very intentionally is around whole child education. So intellectual development is just one of four dimensions where we're educating kids. So we feel some obligation to educate them socially. How do they get along with one another? Thinking about empathy and how the world, we're in an empathy crisis as a global community is not a word, a, a phrase I usually use, but I think there is an empathy crisis ethically and spiritually here. We believe that our kids should leave with some sense of something bigger than themselves. They're not, we are not the masters of the universe. That's a framing that we think is important for kids to be, you know, people who are contributing to the common good, you know, people who are building community. And those four pillars are really great. And they all are centered. I mean, when you talk about whole student, actually, it is about the human, the person, the things that make us human. Empathy is a feeling, a thought, it's soulful, the spiritual side. How do you address students ethically? Because it's quite a minefield with everything going on in all the movements. And how do you address them ethically? Well, for us, I mean, we, as you know, from your chair, you see a variety of different educational approaches. For us, we rely on the Judeo-Christian tradition, right? We are, we're an Episcopal school. And really, that's the central purpose of, you know, golden rule values, right? Treat your neighbor as yourself. These are ethical constructs, right? And ethical ways of viewing the world that they hear all the time. You know, when people talk about social justice, we're not inventing a social justice framework here. We're actually using one, one, and hopefully it links to many other religious traditions that's been around for over 2,000 years. You know, so that's kind of our approach to it. We're not scared of talking about ethics or what's right and wrong. To me, that's an important framework for, you know, trying to teach empathy or any of these big skills that will help them be good people. I mean, the other thing you have is you have the Kent School five competencies. Why five? What are the five? And how do they kind of sit alongside the other elements that you're doing at Kent? Yeah, so Simon, when I arrived, which is not, not so long ago, although some days it feels a long time ago and others it feels like it was yesterday, I surveyed the community, you know, wanting to learn more about really the school's soul. Like, what does it do? Or what would we hope it would do? And I surveyed, not terribly scientifically, but I asked every alumnus and every faculty member and every staff member I could find, and current parents as well, if you were to envision a school in there were five competencies, sensibilities, perspectives you would want our students to have when they leave, what would they be? And I got unbelievable responses that were essentially distilled. I'll confess I had a devious intention. I wanted to hold this community that I surveyed accountable to the things that they said to me and use them to guide the school. So they came up, I think I shared these with you, active empathy, servant leadership, critical and creative thinking, effective communication, and engaged citizenship were the five competencies 
that I distilled from gathering all this information. And, and so we're using those to sort of map our current curriculum. And when I say curriculum, I mean big C curriculum. So but where do these things appear in the academic program? But where do they appear in the athletic program? Where do they appear in residential life? Where do they appear in the chapel? As a way of constructing a more coherent, again, big C curriculum, right? Because you've observed this in other educational institutions, right? Passion gets rewarded typically with resources and time, but coherence is not something that's particularly well-resourced schools are terribly good at. When most good ideas get valued, you can kind of lose your way. These competencies are guiding us in evaluating program and the creation of new programs. The next obvious question is, how do you measure that? Because, you know, you've consulted, you have to do, you can lead, but you can't be autocratic, but you're not. And that's very obvious with your leadership style. You're not, you're very much a, a collaborative person. You want to drive and direct, but at the same time, you want everybody to contribute because they need to be accountable. But then it comes out, okay, well, we said we're doing these things. Does it just look good and sound good because we put it on a wall and they kind of, I can see them around the campus and maybe written on curriculum. Is there any way to measure these? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. This is what we're working on now, right? So these have been in play for almost two years, actually a year and a half. The next phase is to actually tackle the question you've just asked, how do we measure these things? And I think that our answer right now is formulating an instrument that we would deliver to young alumni that I think we want to gather information about their preparedness for college and life in the question around delivering this. The current question is, you know, one, what does it exactly look like? And how do we ask questions about these things without, in a good way where we can collect good data? But really the question is timing. Do we ask people when they're juniors and you know, in their third year of university or, Simon, you'd be a great trustee. I might just take you up on that. I'm, I'm interested. But it is those things because it's what I do in, in the other part of the business we do is, is we help schools to live into their promises. So these are promises. And how do you do it? And you, you are so human-centric, right? And it's all around the community and it's all around the stories that you tell, the things that you do, but you buy into it and it's a feeling and it's so authentic. You know, the danger is, is that when you put measurement by it, it becomes inauthentic and we're trying to make it the Facebook version of our lives, which looks like really great. And we have to do it because people are looking. And the danger there is as soon as you start to try and make it look like it's marketing or it's promise, you lose the reality of it all. Which one of the five competencies do you think will be the most significant in the future of education and why? I am totally biased on this. I feel strongly that... I should probably guess it, shouldn't I? No, I think you probably could. It's either active empathy or servant leadership, and I'm going to go with servant leadership. You've identified absolutely my top two, but I would put empathy in our version, active empathy. So not just having the, the ability to, to walk in another, you know, or think about as an intellectual exercise what it might be like to be another person or to have the experience of another person, but to really use that actively, right? How, how do you translate that intellectual process into action? So, and I think servant leadership actually follows from that. So if you're a servant leader, you are 
actively empathetic. And that would be my number one. And I, and I feel like independent schools, and this is really what Kent is striving to be, we can be more nimble because we're independent. And I believe this is, you know, addressing a global crisis, right? That we are. If Kent can't be a more perfect community than the world outside, or a higher functioning, healthier community than the world outside, that's tough. And Kent is not alone in this work. This is what I was talking about earlier, this transition from schools being solely in the business of transmitting knowledge to this, right? That actually we need people in the world that know how to get along, know how to, you know, build community. And so anyway, I'm rambling, but that's what's exciting. Yeah. And it comes back to the human piece. And it's, I mean, the first thing is, is that I've been speaking a lot around the future of education, probably about a decade now. And actually I, I use four, four kind of areas that I look at. One is technology, one is environment, one is content, and the other one is people. And, you know, the perfect view of this when I present it is that, you know, these need to exist in harmony. The reality when you look at schools is that the biggest one is technology always, right? It's technology, technology, technology. We're busy fools because we don't understand content. The environment and place in which we learn, it needs to be a safe place, a good place that's right. Probably third and the last piece is the human side. We just, we don't think about the interactions between people and the world is all around people. And technology is so exponential. We've seen it now with ChatGPT and all the open AI stuff. And we've just got to expect it. We're never, ever going to evolve as fast as technology. And that's the realization. And I think as soon as schools can get embedded, so I turn it all around. By the end of it, it's all around. You have to put the human in the middle. If you're not building these around the human, technology's last. It's a lever. It's an enabler. You decide, actually, we want to bring this in. It's like bringing in video referees or umpires to sporting fixtures. You bring them in because it's going to add value to it. You're not buying it because someone has said, look, by the way, we can get you this. You kind of go, will that benefit or improve what we're doing? So I'm completely with you on this. But the question I've got is, are you the only school in America doing this? And is this something you can package up and offer other schools to use as a model? Well, I'll say this. I hope not. And I think probably not. You know, in terms of marketing, I guess I've never really thought about that. I think about the 520 kids who go to school here mostly, and am I doing right by them? In terms of, you know, could this be a model or an approach that other schools might adopt? That would be wonderful. I mean, that would be incredibly flattering, obviously. I think good schools are doing this in their own ways. Again, as much as I'd like to say, we're on the vanguard of something super, super special. We probably aren't. I just want to be known as a school that does it exceptionally well. We are living up to the promise of sending kids into the world to make it a better place. You know, you hear this, I'm sure, Simon, in your role, you've heard many people like me say these things. I feel like the world needs their sense of urgency for me. That may be just the way I view the world right now and also my own stage of life and career. But there is a sense of urgency. I'm 100% with you. There is a sense of urgency. And it's funny you talk about other schools. And I do have a good lens. You know, I've spoken to, to schools from, you know, from Punahou and Hawaii all the way to Brisbane and Australia going all the way around and everyone in between. I find it frustrating with schools because they talk about promise all the time and we need reality. 
they like a lot of buzzwords and what current affairs or messaging they need to say, but I don't think many lead with it and actually edit in something that is tangible and felt and understood culturally. And that's something that you're doing and you've done exceptionally well. So I think there are other schools out there that are doing some good stuff, but I think the majority, again, anecdotally, don't. It just becomes a part of what they've got in their offering. It's academic rigor, academic rigor. There is a time and a place for academic rigor after empathy. Obviously, having a strong word rigor is so challenging for me, but I'll use it. A strong, rigorous academic program. To me, the rigor is in thought, right? It's not in anything else. But, you know, that's one of our vertebrae, right? That's part of what we're built on, and it's important for sure. And there are expectations from parents and universities and colleges and, and all of that. I think there's something much bigger that we're striving to do here. And again, my hope is other schools are too. Again, my sense of the world is we need it now. We need this kind of education now. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.